0: to start off uh, today, we're going to be changing up our series. So we've been talking about forgiveness um, and Lloyd kind of brought that to a close for us last week. And today we're going to be kicking off a new series on the gospel of Mark, which is exciting. Um, We're going to go through the whole thing. And I'm very, very, very pumped about that. And I'm honored that I get to, uh, that I get to start us off. Um, So I'm going to pray and then uh, we're going to jump right in. So God, thank you for the chance to be here. Um, the chance to be here as a family as a church um, that we get to hear your word that we get to experience life and that we're not doing that alone lord that your holy spirit is here that it is in us and we pray god that as we go through um, these passages today as we begin to hear about your son and how he came into the world and what he did and what he said lord that we would hear your word that we would know that your word is good, that it is true, and that it is life-changing, God. I thank you that we get to be here, that we get to hear it, and I pray that our hearts would be encouraged towards Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. So we're going to jump right in, Um, and uh, um, Lloyd did something last week that I loved, and so we're going to do it. So if we could stand for the reading of God's word, um, and we're going to be starting right off in Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once, the Spirit sent him into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You can be seated. And I didn't put in the slides, but I'm, NIV is the rest of the version that we'll be using today. So there it is, the beginning of, of Mark. As we know, there's four Gospels, um, and each one starts a little differently. But in the Gospel of Mark, um, a lot happens in those first 15 verses. The book gives us a declaration of who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. We see parts of Isaiah prophesying about John the Baptist. We learn about John the Baptist, what he's doing. We learn about his baptism of Jesus and what God says afterwards. We get a quick look at Jesus in the wilderness. He's tempted. And then in the 15th verse we see the first words of Jesus in the beginning of his ministry that are mentioned in Mark. And that's a lot happening in 15 verses. Um, Comparing it to the other Gospels, if you look at this point in Matthew, if you're at verse 15, you're still in a genealogy. Um, So a lot more exciting unless you're really into, um, you know, ancestry.com and things like that. Um, In Luke, it's still in that conversation between Zechariah and the angel talking about His son John the Baptist. And in the Gospel of John, it's wrapping up the theological description of the Word who became flesh. And each of these different beginnings of the Gospels plays an important role. Just as each of the Gospels plays an important role in Scripture and understanding God's plan and who Jesus is. And as we look at today's Gospel story, we're going to kind of see how it's setting us up for what we'll be engaging with for the coming months. Um, the the Gospel of Mark is 16 chapters long, um, but there's a lot within it. So we're not going to just blaze through this in a few weeks. We, we get to be here for a while, and hopefully today we'll get a good setup for that. So what are we looking at here in the beginning of Mark? What are we learning about Jesus, and how do these verses set us up for that? First, let's set the stage for Jesus' baptism. We've got John. He's baptizing in the wilderness, and there's a lot of people going out there to be baptized in the Jordan River. Okay? And... I don't know about you, but I love baptisms, and, and I'm, I'm sure you do as well. Um, and there's—I have so many, like, exciting memories of, of seeing people being baptized. And there's so many different places that that happens. Here we see it happening in a river. Um, I'm sure there's people who've been uh, baptized in the Nooksack, maybe not this last November in the Nooksack, but other times. Um, I know I was baptized 15 years ago in uh, Lake Whatcom. Um, But even last year, we saw people who, we went out to Samiaimo at the Spit, and people were baptized in the ocean right there. Um, We have a tub back. I don't know if you know, there's a tub back here. Um, It's not a chilling tub if you're like, I'm going to come hang out pre-service. But um, we've had people get baptized there. And actually, at the church that um, Jesse and I were at before we moved to Birch Bay, there was actually a big tub, and they'd carry it out. Um, but what was awesome is there was so many different ways that people were baptized, and it was this amazing celebration, and everyone kind of has their own experience with that. Um, and for us, though, it's, it's kind of easy to have current times in mind, right? We can easily imagine, you know, John the Baptist, he's there baptizing, and, and I mean, he looks a little different. Maybe we imagine some, you know, crazy guy from the wilderness, but it's easy to just think of the visual setting, of what it was like for a guy baptizing people in a river, but it's a lot different 2,000 years ago, what's happening there when John's baptizing these people, and the big thing that's different is that uh, these people, they, uh, they don't know who Jesus is. When we are here and we're looking at baptism, we know who Jesus is. We got that in mind. These people, here's, here's what they know about Jesus. And we're going to read um, from Matthew 3. It, it, it expands a little bit of something that John's telling these people. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So for those who are getting baptized by John, they know the Old Testament, and they know that about Jesus. So when people are getting baptized by John, they're learning about this guy who's coming. He's going to be more powerful. He's going to be more amazing than John. Um, John's not even worthy enough to untie his sandals, um, which I would like to say untie his shoes so it's a little more relevant, right? If my shoes were untied and, you know, someone were to come, like, that's where it's at, right? And, uh, and I mean, this guy's going to show up and, side note, he's not going to baptize with water. He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire, which I, if I was there, I'd be like, like, not in the river. Like, he's going to, like, straight up burn me a lot. I don't know. <laughs> They don't know. So when I'm reading this passage, I, I want to try to think what must it have been like for those who were there the day Jesus showed up and was baptized. And it probably wasn't different than much other days when John was baptizing people. Uh, and I don't know, maybe people waited in line to get baptized by John. Maybe they just kind of stood by the riverbank. We don't know, but, but I'm just going to kind of wonder, you know, maybe what would it be like? We know there's lots of people going into the water, right? We know they're confessing their sins. We know that they're being baptized. So imagine we're being there, and I'm I'm just going to pretend I'm there now. I'm going to get baptized, and Jesus shows up. And imagine, like, waiting at the river, and you're, like, about to confess all your sins. You're about to go down there, like, oh, this is what I've done. John's about to baptize me. And then all of a sudden you hear John, he's like, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now, if I'm there, I don't know. I'm probably like, he's here. Like, that guy that John's been talking about. And, like, first of all, you know, he's more powerful than John. So I don't know if he's, like, of like, Hulk Hogan of believers. He's going to show up. Um, but he's also, like, so amazing that John's not even worthy enough to untie his shoes So maybe he's like, you know, he's Hulk Hogan combined with like Prince Harry, like maybe like a Tom Brady type guy, right? I don't know what he's going to be like, but he sounds pretty amazing. He sounds, you know, intense. And then hold up. I'm about to get baptized. What if he starts baptizing people? What if he's like super perfect and I got to confess my sins in front of him? What if he actually baptizes with fire? (laughs) Like, I don't know. It's crazy. So let's just, you know, pretend I'm standing there. And I turn around, and I see that guy. I'm going to be surprised, because he is the most normal-looking dude ever. My thought might have been like many in the New Testament who are like, "Wait, that's just that's just a guy from Nazareth. Like, I he I don't see you know big. I mean, maybe he had muscles. I'm not saying Jesus wasn't buff, but I mean, he's not so powerful that I'm like." Well, yeah, no wonder the guy who lives in the wilderness and, like, eats bugs and honey is saying he's more powerful. I'm, I'm probably like, this is just a normal guy. Now, that inner monologue is a little ridiculous, and it's definitely not in the Bible. Okay, I just want to say that. That's just <laughs> my—but but in this moment, we're caught up in knowing who Jesus is. When we read the story of Jesus going to get baptized by John, we know who Jesus is. But people— did not know. They, they knew what John said and maybe there was a hint that he was this guy from these prophecies. But when we actually look at this he Jesus walks over to John and John knows who Jesus is. John knows this is the guy. And John knows and he doesn't say what, what others say like that's just a guy from Nazareth. Jesus walks over and he's like oh man like, Jesus. And Jesus says, John, you're going to baptize me. And we read in Matthew, John actually pushes back. He says, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? John is like, no. Like, this, this doesn't make sense. But Jesus convinces him. He goes into the water, and John baptizes Jesus. Just like he baptized all the sinners. There's only one difference when they're in the water. Jesus doesn't have any sin to confess. Okay. Let's remember that there's, he, that's, that's the biggest difference. But afterwards, when he comes out of the water, as we read earlier, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the, and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. First off, he's not just a guy from Nazareth anymore. At that moment, something huge happens, and God speaks audibly, and and that's actually pretty rare in Scripture. God does not speak audibly like that very often, so we know that this is huge. D.A. Carson puts it really well uh, about what this statement means, and it introduces the mystery of the Incarnation, meaning that Jesus is Lord and Son. This moment of God's audible voice speaking to Jesus is pretty epic. But it doesn't happen in a synagogue or a temple. It doesn't happen at a big traditional feast or Passover meal. There's not a parade afterwards, and there's no audience of kings and queens. I mean, maybe, there, but it wasn't worth mentioning. No, Jesus is just baptized in the same river that everybody else was getting baptized in by the same guy that was baptizing everybody else. And what happens right afterwards is is crazy too. It's not a parade. It says in Mark verses twelve and thirteen, at once the spirit sent out into the wilderness, sorry, at once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. At this point, something is real clear. Jesus the prophesied one spoken of and pointed to in so many different places in the Old Testament. The one who John was saying was so powerful and so amazing that even John wasn't even going to untie his shoes. Right? Isaiah 9-7 Isaiah says, Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding with justice and and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. That person that the hype is all about he just shows up as a man he just shows up as a guy and Andy shared this verse and I'm so glad we get to read it again in Philippians because it speaks right to what we're seeing here it says in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus and check this out think about everything that we just read about Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus came humbly. When he goes into that wilderness, Satan tempts him. We see the details of it in Matthew. Satan tries to tempt Jesus. Jesus responds with Scripture. He doesn't fall into that temptation. And, and I'm going to be honest, sometimes when I read that, it feels like, well, yeah, duh, Jesus walking the park, being good. But, like, when we look into it, we think about the passage that we just read. Philippians 2.7, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. When I read that, and then I look at the end of the temptation of Jesus— after the devil has left and we read that the angels came and attended to Jesus, that makes me think that it probably wasn't like Jesus just called him up and was like, yo guys, the devil's done tempting me. Like, you want to chill? Like, let's hang out. No. What probably happened, I mean, it says that Jesus fasted for 40 days. Jesus was probably exhausted and weak. Maybe even barely alive. It doesn't, it doesn't say what, but the angels came and attended to him. He was clearly in need of help. Guys, Jesus came humbly. That's why when we read that Jesus came as a tiny, meek little baby who's was birthed by a mother in a barn and placed in a food trough, that's, that's some humble beginnings. Jesus was baptized at the same river as a bunch of sinners. Jesus was tempted, just like we are. And yes, Jesus' result of how he handled those things was so different, but we need to see that Jesus came humbly. And this will continue throughout the Gospel of Mark. We will see Jesus going low, getting down with those who are needy and repulsive. When he's healing people, he isn't on a stage, you know, doing the the Benny Hinn thing and and casting spells and, and wearing an expensive suit. A lot of the times, he was just out in the streets, Healing people that nobody liked, that nobody wanted to be around. And not just hospital sick. Some of the sick he was dealing with was a guy that lives in Bellingham and sleeps in a tent on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. That was some of the sick. And this, this is what we're seeing. He came kind and lovingly and humbly. He didn't call out anybody at the baptism. He didn't show up and be like, yo, guys, I'm perfect. Check this out. I'm going to get baptized and confessed. No. He just went and he was baptized, and God declared who he was. How could the king of all come down and be so humble, so lowly? Not everybody, though, who preaches shows up like Jesus does. Frankly, there's some that show up uh, with a Bible in hand, and and, uh, it's different. It's definitely different than than how we're going to see Jesus showing up in Mark. I remember a number of years ago... I was at work in Bellingham, and there was a, an enthusiastic sign holder um, outside of my work, and he wasn't spinning like a Domino's pizza down the road sign. Um, he, he had a message to say, and, and this is pre-COVID, right? So if you remember, people gathered in groups and walked closer together. Um, but where I worked, there's, you know, some 400 employees that worked downtown at that time, and so there was a lot of people there. That's why he was there. And I was walking by one day. I was with a coworker who was a friend of mine. And uh, every time I walked by this guy, I was kind of like, he was kind of mad. I was kind of angry. And uh, so we walked by him. He said so. I don't know what he said to us. I don't really remember. Um, but as soon as we get inside the building, I turned to my, my coworker, and I was like, man, like that guy. Like he's just preaching lies, and he's hurting people with his sons. I hate it. And my coworker looks at me, and he says, Why? Oh my man like, like that's terrible evangelism tactics like did you read his sign and he says yeah he says yeah I read his sign he says I mean I, I definitely don't think that's you know the most helpful way to evangelize but did you read what it says and I was like well I think I read it and I paused and I turned around and I went and I looked out and I read the sign again he had two signs and the first one said thieves drunks Adulterers, murderers, idolaters, liars. He was just listed. The other one, it said, repent. Now, I'm not saying that this guy was, was you know, has the, the secret for evangelism. I, I, that's not at all what I'm saying. Okay, let's, it's about the sign here, though. I, I realize that what those signs said were not actually incorrect. The Bible calls people to repent. And the crazy part, though, is what I thought when I read it that second time, my literal thought was, man, if somebody who, like, was one of those people saw that sign, that would not encourage them to love Jesus. That was my—and they're like, my gosh, I, I, what a prideful thought I had. But that was really my thought. When, when I agree that, yeah, the Bible does that, say that, I was like, golly, for those poor people who that applies to. <laughs> now, <laughs> fast forward to a little over a week ago. Okay, I was a super stressful day I had, and, and we all have those stressful days, and, and I had one. I think I had two in a row, and, uh, which is so rare, right? <laughs> two stressful days in a row. There's a lot that was weighing heavy on my heart and, and just life, and, um, but I was spent a lot of time in this passage, and I was thinking about it that night, thinking about this sermon, and I was thinking about this story, about the sign holder and, and about the signs he was holding, kind of wondering, like, you know, oh, man, like, is this, you know, God, is this somewhere that we're going to plug in? And as I went to the cupboard to grab a snack, I was thinking about the word repent. I just couldn't shake that even though the words on that guy's sign were not contrary to what the Bible says, something about this sign repent didn't feel right with me. And nothing to do with his, his strategy for, for communicating, just something about that sign specifically. It made me feel uncomfortable. Yet the first command Jesus gives in the book of Mark, we read it, it's repent and believe the good news. So why do I have a hard time with that word? So here I am thinking about if this story about the sign guy fits in today's sermon, and hopefully it does because I'm in the middle of it now. Um, and uh, I'm thinking about how, you know, how the guy's sign was ineffective. So, I was, you know, my mind kind of was like, you know what? I'm not a murderer. i not, I don't steal. Like, his desire to convict others, he could have done a better job. That's what I was thinking. And as I was thinking that, I'm standing there with a Bible in one hand and a pack of fruit snacks in the other. And I'm shoving fruit snacks in my mouth thinking, man, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. Because guys, a little, little confession here. I'm, I'm a stress eater. And I know that my beach body hides it. <laughs> but uh, when life is tough, I, I like to eat. Um, when my life is hard, I don't steal things. I don't murder people, um, I don't bow down to a golden calf, um, because when my life is tough, I am, there's a high likelihood that I will raid my kids' school snack cupboard like a hot dog eating contest champion. I will just <laughs> go in there and be like, what are the kids not going to have for school tomorrow? Okay? And in that moment, while I was thinking about how I was too good for all those sins listed on that sign... God reminded me that when I turn to food as a source of comfort during stress, rather than his word, Mm -hmm. rather than prayer, Mm -hmm. that I'm seeking my own sinful ways and not his. And maybe you're scratching your head right now, and you're like, Brian, like, man, it's just like, it's just fruit snacks. Like, is that, like, yes. And not because fruit snacks are bad for me, which, side note, I'm so sorry if you think fruit snacks are good for you because they say fruit in it. Um, (laughs) That's... Um, there's documentaries you can watch on that. But but the thing was, is, is it, it wasn't about the fact that I was eating unhealthy food. It was the fact that when my life was tough, what, not was, is, this is present tense, that's where I want to go. I want to go and just eat food. When I should be on my knees in my room praying and saying, God, I cannot handle today. God, I don't know what to do here. Lord, let me read your word because I just don't know. I would so much rather just be shoving whatever snack I can find in my mouth and all of a sudden in my mind when I realized, I mean I literally I I had fruit snacks in hand and I was like, and my heart all of a sudden was so convicted and the sign that I was thinking about, the sign that I was like man, that guy's just bad at telling people about Jesus, it started to change, it didn't say murderers, it didn't say repent thieves anymore it started to say repent stress eaters Repent, angry parents. Repent, those who are gossips or who entertain inappropriate sexual thoughts in their mind. And repent, lazy workers, selfish spouses, social media addicts, liars, those who are greedy, those who worship their jobs. Repent, repent, repent. Guys, I realized I hated that sign because that sign revealed my sin. Mm-hmm. That word repent, if I take it seriously, it reveals sin and not some don't eat fruit snacks because it's bad for you type of sin no it's the don't seek worldly pleasure don't put things before god seek him when times are hard and i don't know about you but when i take the word repent seriously i see the darkest parts of me and not just what i've done but why i've done things or why i do things and what that means about me what that means about my ability to or really my complete lack thereof of ever being able to be good enough for Jesus. And that's tough, guys. I'm not good enough for Jesus. The truth is, none of us are. And that sign with all the sinners listed on it that I thought wasn't for me, it was totally for me. He just didn't do a good job of writing out sins that I could immediately connect to. No wonder we don't like seeing the word repent on a sign because we know there's another sign next to it with a long list of things we've done. Now I know, I just got really heavy there. (laughs) But bear with me, okay? Because see, what we're seeing here is that our worldly hearts and minds look at sin and the looks at the word repent and we experience shame and guilt. Without Jesus, that word repent, it would make sense we feel those things. The need for repentance is just damning evidence that there's no hope in our abilities. Satan wants you to think it's better to hide your sin under the bed or in the closet or whatever. He, he loves it when you see that sign and you're like, eh, you know, I don't do those things. I got nothing. He wants you to think that pretending it's not there is the best way to look like a good person. He also wants us to think that as believers, we need to perform and be perfect and convince everyone nothing bad is there. He just wants us to be like, shh, about that sin. Friends, Jesus tells us something completely different. Let's return to the words of Jesus here in Mark. Okay, let's go to verse 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. There's a lot more there than just the word repent. And that's the biggest difference already between that guy holding the sign in this passage. Because he didn't have those other words. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. First, this statement tells us, it tells us a couple things. We're going to go through this, okay? Because this, we need, when we hear the word repent, we need to have the Bible be speaking, not our hearts. Okay? First, this statement tells us that there is a God. Amen. Praise God. There is a God. God is real. He's the ruler of this universe. He has created all things for His glory. What is seen, what is unseen. And His kingdom in heaven is good and perfect. And it is our true home, and He will return to claim what is His. Okay. Second thing. The command repent, it does acknowledge something. Guys, it acknowledges that sin is real. And that sin means that we've been separated from God. We are born sinners, and because of our sin, we have earned the penalty of death. And we can do, we can do nothing to change that good news the good news the good news tells us to believe it says believe the good news guys this is the part that satan wants you to forget satan wants us to to disconnect scripture it's so easy sometimes when reading the bible to kind of hone in on one thing satan loves it when we just kind of take a word out and we take it out of context we need to bring this word repent off that sign and we need to put it back in this passage okay Because it says, repent and believe the good news. The good news that the kingdom of God has come near. That God sent his son into the world to become a man. That man is Jesus. And he came to die in our place. To pay the penalty for our sin. Guys, when Jesus says repent, he doesn't say, repent, because man, you stink. No, he says, repent. I died and I paid the penalty. Jesus died on the cross and he paid off our debt. But what's more, that he rose from the grave and he conquered death and ascended to heaven. And he's there right now preparing it for us. Guys, that is where hope is. When it says repent, it says and believe good news. Believe it, hope. There is hope. Jesus does not call us to repent without that hope being right afterwards. He also tells us that he has given us his spirit. Because here's the deal. I know in life sometimes it's like, man, I, I love Jesus. I repent. And I know there's my home. Check it. Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit. That means that we are already connecting with God. He is in us. As we declare that Christ is King, as we have faith in Jesus, that means that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians says, the promised Holy Spirit. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until redemption of those who are God's possession? Our time between now and heaven, we are not alone. As believers, God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in us. You see, Jesus isn't calling us to repent in shame or guilt. Titus puts it well and it says, At one time, we too were foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, this is that part, right? This this passage might as well, you could plug it right in with that one in Mark where it says repent, right? It's talking about that. We were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved. We lived in malice and envy. And yes, repent of those things. Why? Why? When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, not because when you repented, the Lord was like, well, nice turning away from sin. You did a great job there, 10 points. No, (laughs) because of His mercy, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior so that having been, been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. That does not, that's not damnation, guys. That is hope of eternal life. That is a new life. When Jesus calls us to repent, he is saying repent and believe because as those who have faith in Jesus, we are heirs of his kingdom. He's calling us to live as he has made us. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We have hope in eternal life. Of course God's going to call us to turn away from those things. Because he's like, that's not who you are anymore. We are who he's made us. We are justified. I didn't put this passage in here, but, but in uh, in Acts, I think it's Peter says, that we are washed clean, our sin is erased. Michael Horton puts it well. He says, By itself, repentance is merely the experience of damnation until one looks by faith to Jesus Christ. So what do we see here? What's the gospel of Mark teaching us? What are we going to see throughout this 16 chapters? We will see a king who stepped down from his throne and humbly became a man. That He would be called the Son of God and walk this earth in human flesh, a humble servant to others. That He would have a humility that we are called to exemplify. We will see many times just how seriously Jesus takes our separation from God, our sin, and we'll see that He calls us to also take seriously that sin by repenting of it. And we will see and hear from Him the good news that He takes our sin our separation from God so seriously. You think he's telling us to take it seriously with repentance, guys? He took it so seriously that he went to the cross and he died. He died so that when you take it seriously, you don't have to do a good job at it. He took it so seriously that he died on the cross and he rose again. He paid our debts so that if we believe in him, by his power alone, will we be saved and spend eternity with him starting here on earth, as we're filled with the Holy Spirit and continuing into heaven. So let's pray, guys. Let's finish up here. And as we worship, remember that. God, we thank you, and I'm going to invite the band up. God, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that when we feel like things don't make sense about you, when we get a word wrong or a message wrong, that your word is there to explain and to help us understand God, that you sent your son and that we get to hear about it for the coming weeks, that we get to live in that and that he came humbly, Lord. God, that when we feel low, that we can look to scripture and see the people that Jesus knelt down next to, that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, that he went and he put his hands on lepers and that we can know that he comes down to where we are. God, there's so much joy in the gospel.